Untrodden Peaks and Unfrequented Valleys. Section 21. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Untrodden Peaks and Unfrequented Valleys. A Midsummer Ramble Through the Dolomites by Amelia B. Edwards. Chapter 8. At Capriel, Part 3. Meanwhile, here, on the ridge, apart and alone, like a solitary remnant of outer battlement left standing beside a raised fortress, rises to a height of at least two hundred and fifty feet above the grass at its base, the Sasso di Ranch. Seen thus in profile, it is difficult to believe that it is the same Sasso di Ranch which one has been looking at from below. It looks a mere aguille or spiral, disproportionately slender for its height and curved at the top, as if just ready to pitch over. Someone has compared the Matterhorn to the head and neck of a war-horse, rearing up behind the valley of Zermatt. So might the Sasso di Ranch from this point be compared to the head and neck of a giraffe. Standing upon its knife-edge of ridge, all precipice below, all sky above, the horizon one long sweep of jagged peaks, it makes as wild and weird a subject as I ever sat down to sketch, before or since. Thus the morning passes. At noon we rest in the shade of the sasso to eat our frugal luncheon of bread and hard-boiled eggs. Then, being refreshed, pack up the sketching traps and prepare to go home. It is not long, however, before we call another halt, this time in the midst of a beautiful open glade a little way below the cottages. Here, framed in by a foreground of velvet turf, a chalet and a group of larches, and only divided from us by the misty abyss of the Val Pettorina, rise the vertical cliffs and craggy summits of Monte Pezzo. It is a ready-made sketch, and must be seized on the spot. There ought to be a fine view from that point yonder, I remark, mixing a pale little pool of cobalt, like a solution of turquoises, and addressing myself to no one in particular. Hereupon Clementi, apropos, as it would seem, of nothing, says briskly, Would the signoras like to make a first ascent? A first ascent, I repeated vaguely, adding a softening drop of brown matter, and so turning the whole pool into a tender pearly grey. What do you mean? I mean, would the signoras like to be the first to mount to the top of the Sasso Bianco? The Sasso Bianco, says L, beginning to be interested in the conversation. Where is the Sasso Bianco? Clementi points to my sketch, and then to the mountain opposite. But that is the Monte Pesa, I exclaim. Scusate, signora, the Sasso Bianco is the summit of the Monte Piesa. No traveller has ever been up there. It is new, new, new. How can it be new? I ask incredulously. It is not a very high mountain. Scusate, ancora, signora. It is not a mountain of the first class, but it is high, very high, for a mountain of the second class. It is higher than either the Frisolet, the Fernanza, or the Mignon. Still, it is much less difficult than the Civita, and the Civita has been ascended several times. How, then, should the Sasso Bianco have escaped till now? Because, signora, the Sasso Bianco is too difficult for ordinary travellers, and not difficult enough for the Club Alpino, 
replies Clemente, oracularly. "'Il bal, il tuck it, il Whitwell care nothing for a mountain which they can swallow at one mouthful.' This sounds logical. I begin to look at my mountain with more respect, and to take extra pains with my sketch. At the same time I venture to remind Clemente that L and I are only ordinary travellers, and as such might find the Sasso Bianco too tough to be swallowed, even in many mouthfuls. But he will not listen to this view of the question for a moment. If we choose to do it, we have but to say so. He will undertake that the Signora shall go up Pulito. The sketch being by this time finished, we go down, talking always of the Sasso Bianco. Clementi is eager for us to achieve the honor of a prima ascensione, and advocates it with all his eloquence. Giuseppe, anxious that we should attempt nothing in excess of our strength, listens gravely, puts in a question here and there, and reserves his opinion. According to Clementi, nothing can be finer than the view, or easier than the ascent, but then he admits that he himself has never been higher than the upper pastures, and has never seen the view he praises so highly. Still, he has gone far enough to survey the ground. He knows that we can certainly ride as far as the last group of chalets, and he is confident that the walk to the summit cannot be difficult. On the whole, the thing sounds tempting. Our plans, however, are already laid out for a long excursion to be begun, weather permitting, to-morrow. So the subject of the Sasso Bianco, having been discussed, is for the present dismissed. Dismissed, but not forgotten. Those words, prima ascensione, are cabalistic, and haunt the memory strangely. They invest the Monte Pezza with a special and peculiar interest, so that it is no longer as other mountains are, but seems henceforth to have a halo around its summit. But I must not forget the old peasant whom we met a little way below the Gothard's Cross, as we went down that afternoon. He was a fine old man, still handsome, dressed in a new suit of homespun frieze, and evidently well-to-do. He was sitting by the path-side. A basket and a long stick lay beside him. As we drew near he rose and bowed, so being on foot, the men and mules following at a distance, we stopped to speak to him. He, of course, immediately asked where we had been, and where we were going. These are the invariable questions. I said that we had been up to the Sasso di Ranch. "'To the Sasso?' he repeated. "'Ah, you have been up to the Sasso? Did you see the ruins of the castle?' I replied that, not knowing there were ruins, we had looked for nothing of the kind. "'Aye,' he said, shaking his head, "'and unless you knew where to find them you would never notice them. But they are there.' I have seen them myself many a time, when I was younger and could climb like you. Do you know to whom the castle belonged? Si, si, si. Lo penso bene. Will the signoras be pleased to sit while I tell them all about it? With this he resumed his seat on the grassy bank, wiped his brow with his handkerchief, and talked away with the air of one who was accustomed to be listened to. The castle, he said, was built by the Visconti, the cruel Visconti of Milan. They erected it towards the close of the fourteenth century, to overawe the Republica of Rocca, over which they then exercised a nominal sovereignty. But when the rule of the Visconti came to an end, the Brava Commune, fearing lest the nobles of Belluno should seize and occupy this stronghold to the ruin of the people, 
pulled it down, leaving scarce one stone standing upon another. That was between four and five centuries ago. Then the nobles of Belluno, finding they could obtain no footing on the mountain, went and built the castle of Andres up yonder on the valley of Buchenstein, and there made themselves a terror to all the country. Had the signora seen the castle of Andres? Oh, well, that too was now a ruin, pulled down by the French in 1866, according to international treaty. As for the antico castello up by the Sasso, it was like an old tree of which the trunk was cut down, and only the roots left. Nothing remained of it but the foundations. Being built of rock, they looked so like the rock that you might pass them a hundred times without observing them. There were not many people now living, he said, who knew where to look for them. When he was a young man, the contadini used to go up and dig there for hidden treasure, but they always had been frightened away by the demons. The ruins were full of demons underground, in the subterraneous dungeons, the entrances to which were now lost. They were wont to appear in the form of snakes, and they raised terrible storms of wind and thunder to drive away those who sought to discover the secrets of the ruin. Had he ever seen the demons himself? Why, no, he could not say that he had, for he had never cared to tempt the devil by going to dig for treasure, but he had seen and heard the tempest raging up there, about the top of the mountain, many and many a time, when it was fair weather down in the valley. And he had once known a man who went up at midnight on the eve of Santo Giovanni, to dig in a certain spot where he had dreamed he should find buried gold. When he had dug a deep hole, echo his spade struck against an earthen spot, and he thought his fortune was made but when he took the lid off the pot there came out only five small black snakes, no bigger than your finger. At this sight, being both alarmed and disappointed, he up with his spade and cut one of these little snakes in twain, and lo, in one instant the hole that he had dug was full of snakes, big, black, venomous, twisted, hissing snakes, thousands and thousands of them, all pouring out upon him in a hideous throng, so that he had to fly for his life and only escaped death by a miracle. "'But has nothing ever been found in the ruins?' I asked, when at the end of this story the old man paused to take breath. "'Nothing but rubbish, signora,' he replied. "'A few small coins, a rusty cask or two, some fragments of armor, niente puis.' He would have talked for an hour if we could have stayed to listen to him, but we were in haste, and now wished him good day.' So he rose again, took off his hat, and in quaint, set terms wished us good health, a pleasant journey, a safe return, and the blessing of God. The rest of that afternoon was spent in laying out our route by the map, unpacking and selecting stores, and endeavoring to solve the oft-propounded problem of how to get the contents of a large portmanteau into a small black bag. For the days of Caretti, Landau's, and carriage roads were over. Henceforth our ways would lie among mountain paths and unfrequented mule-tracks, and to-morrow we must start upon an expedition of at least ten days, with only as much luggage as each could carry packed behind her own saddle. Giuseppe, it was arranged, should carry the sketching-traps, and Clementi the provision-basket. In this order we were to take a long round beginning with Senchadiga and Agordo, 
going thence to Primario, Panaveggio, and Perdazzo, and coming home by Campidello and the Fidaja Pass. In the meanwhile, El's maid was to be left in charge of the rooms and under the kindly care of the Pesis. End of section 21